Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back to This Ends at Prom. You are joining us on yet another very cold, beautiful Cleveland day where we are all still indoors and you should be too. I mean, I I, I guess I leave the house sometimes to go to work. That's well, about it. Yeah. I mean, like you have an obligation because you're essential, baby. So you I don't know to... <laughs> if I'm essential. I, I, I'm kind of like a luxury item we're in ohio people need deep fried food you're providing an essential service and and alcohol i mean that's that's the main gig but you know plenty Eh, of takeout food okay (laughs) sure (laughs) I'll, i'll just take your word for it and that is that is the thing and i will respectfully disagree Deal, deal. I can, I can, I can accept that. Uh, so I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is BJ Colangelo, and across this lovely bedroom is uh, is my wife, essential worker Harmony Colangelo, <laughs> and the best motherfucking bartender in Cleveland. Yeah. So today we're doing something uh, really, really fun because for those who've listened to the show before, you know that we tend to look at films from yesteryear um, and and give them sort of a, a redo and sort of an analysis looking through a modern lens. But today we are talking about a movie that just came out. Uh, we saw it this weekend when it was released on video on demand which it is currently still available you should all check it out i mean if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen it like what the fuck are you doing but we're <laughs> we're so excited to talk about it we are talking about blumhouse's freaky and with us today is a very special guest you know him and love him from attack of the queer wolf he is one of the co-writers of freaky he is the father of scooby strode we have michael kennedy with us today <laughs> Hi. Hello. I had I had to give you like the best of your titles, I which love is it. I mean of course Father of Scooby Strode. Father of Scooby Strode is the perfect button. For those out there who don't know, Michael has the cutest dog in the world. <laughs> and I'm like and just it's like she's such a presence that she just she has to be acknowledged. She's so joyous. Like my boyfriend and I often talk about whether or not we would have murdered each other by now if we didn't have her. <laughs> Is it one of those situations where it's like, no, we can't fight in front of the children? Yes. yes. <laughs> we've like, so we've had her since January and we've had like, we don't fight often. So like, that's good, A, but we've had a couple fights and like, I literally do have that thought. Like, should we be doing this in front of her? <laughs> <laughs> 
you're introducing like aggression into the world. Yeah. And like she senses something is definitely off when it happens. She actually runs into her bed. Oh. So yeah, she's, I love her so much. She's at daycare right now. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Just obsessed. I love her. We should just be like, okay, so fuck this. We're not talking about your movie. We're just going to talk about your dog for the next like hour and a half. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> well, Michael, we're so happy that you are here and we're so happy that you've made this movie and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. But uh, normally when we start the show, we read the synopsis of the movie on uh, Fandango with our friends. So our friendangos. For better or worse. For better or for worse because... <laughs> there's clearly like a lot of different people who write these synopses. Like, so for example, the one for 16 candles was a sentence. I looked up the one for freaky and it is like three paragraphs. Is it, is it probably the whole studio, um, synopsis that they sent out? I'm actually looking right now. It's like, it's pretty long. And I was like, wow, like they're getting really in depth already with the synopsis. It's not very spoilery, which is a good thing, but I was like, wow, this is really long. Um, so in your words, what, what is freaky about? Oh boy. I always have trouble doing this because like log lines are like not my strength. Well, you don't have to give a log line. Like, you know, you as the writer, what's it about? Freaky is about... A 17-year-old girl named Millie Kessler who finds herself in her senior year of high school kind of just not having the best time. She's still really in a year later from the loss of her father. But because she's such a people pleaser, she is putting her alcoholic mother and her wound so fucking tight sister's needs before her own. Mm-hmm. Um Meanwhile, it makes her a target with her peers because what do shitty teenagers do but target people who are already downtrodden uh-huh. um, with their shit. So she's kind of just not in the best place. She spends most of her day in school, say, hiding so people don't pay attention to her. But she's got these two amazing friends in Nyla and Josh who see the beauty in her inside and out and really just want her... To live this fucking awesome, beautiful life that they know she has in her. And then, on top of that, a serial killer is roaming their (laughs) town who seems to be kind of an urban legend to her peers, but is very much real. He kills a bunch of kids, and then he goes to kill Millie. And inadvertently, they swap bodies instead. And so Millie now has 24 hours to... Not only stop the killer from killing her classmates, but getting her body back before she's permanently stuck in the body of a towering, disgusting butcher. I mean, that's one way you can describe Vince Vaughn. Yeah. (laughs) He's in the movie. (laughs) Partially in life, probably. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I think that's that's it. And I think there's, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it because for anyone that hasn't seen it, I think there's the, the feedback we've been getting mostly from people is the pleasant surprise people get from watching the movie when they realize it has like this beating heart and this almost wholesome quality to it. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's freaky. That's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm, I love having, you know, you as one of the writers say, say it in your own words because you're, you're right. There is such a heart in this movie and I love that right off the bat, you're also acknowledging that Millie has this like amazing support system with her friends, because I think that 
that's not going to end up in a in a log line or in a in a descriptor but they're so important and they are and i think the thing that people you know i get it Catherine newton is very pretty and she's such a presence and i understand when people kind of nitpick at the movie with the like no one like her would be bullied but i don't necessarily think that's true you know like just because someone's good looking doesn't mean they have a they don't have a hard time you know and oh that's, yeah that's why yeah. i purposely mentioned the fact that like she's already in such a vulnerable place and bullies they target the vul already vulnerable and i appreciate when people actually have stuck up for the movie and go well she's actually being targeted be by these people because she's an easy target it has nothing to do with her looks yeah it's because she's not confident that's makes her an easy target yeah and you know like she is I don't know. She's a stand-in for a lot of people, and we just got so fucking lucky with the break of getting Catherine Newton to play the role. Right, because <laughs> she she's just incredible. But I'm I'm so glad that you that you acknowledge that like there are some people who are being critical because like oh she's so pretty who would bully her because this conversation I think happened. Uh, similarly when they remade Carrie with Chloe Grace Moretz, who again is somebody else who is just like a complete force when you watch them and they are just like, she's beautiful. But in both of these instances, like bullying exists outside of your physical appearances. And I think people forget that probably because if they were bullied, they might have been bullied for their physical appearances. Mm -hmm. But the same way that like a lot of horror fans get bullied just because they like horror or like the musical theater kids get bullied because they like musical theater. It's not always about what you look like and you can absolutely be attractive and be targeted for something else. Like, in Carrie, she's targeted because she's, like, a religious weirdo to them. So it's, like, it doesn't matter how cute she is. Like, they're going to bully her. And with Millie, like, it doesn't matter how cute she is. Like, if you're walking through life and you clearly look like you don't want to be there and, like, you're dealing with something, then, like, yeah, they're going to mess with you. Yeah, Ryler is going to mess. And she'll mess with somebody she views as a threat. Mm -hmm. And Millie's kind of a threat, you know what I mean? Because of her simplicity... And her simple beauty in a way, you know, like, so, of course, Ryler is, you know, perfect clothes, perfect makeup, perfect handbag. Like, there's a reason Chris shows that fucking bag that she's clutching, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think people don't realize that, like, bullying's all encompassing a lot of the time. And it's such a universal thing, unfortunately, to be bullied and to bully. So, you know, that was always a running theme with Freaky from its initial inception was this person being bullied and going through grief at the same time. You know, that's really the movie. It's this person going through such a really horrible point in their life. And, like, this body swap and the slasher element are almost like, I don't want to say afterthoughts because that makes it sound like Chris and I didn't think of it, but, like, to us, the main story was Millie's emotional arc. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and the body swap and the slasher aspects of it were, like, the icing. Yeah, the, um, like, you talked about how this movie has, like, an emotional heartbeat. There's, like, multiple moments in, like, probably, like, the, after the halfway point especially, where there are, like, a lot of very sincere, very heartfelt scenes in this movie. And we, we watched it twice over this weekend oh, because, yay. you know maximize that rental and yes. also it's totally worth the second watch yeah so <laughs> <laughs> uh 
but we ended up watching it the second time and we're watching it a lot more and being like noticing a lot more I guess little details and nuances and one of the big things we walked away feeling was that yes this is a slasher film yes it is a horror film but it is a teen film first and foremost and it's about being a teenager and like high school experiences and then also there's a lot of blood yes yes (laughs) I mean, Chris and I, when we started writing, we kind of sat down and said, what do we, there was like two things we did. We said, what do we honor, want to honor about, not just like Scream and the, the slasher subgenre, but what do we want to honor about the teen comedy subgenre? Mm-hmm. Then we also both said, okay, like, Chris like looked at me and was like, what do you want to put in here that you wish you could have had happen to you when you were in high school? What do you, what do you want to relive? Like, what's your second chance? Like, what's the thing you would go back and do if you could go back to high school and do all over again? Let's do it in this movie. And he did the same with him. You know what I mean? And that's essentially where Joshua came from. Like, Joshua was always a character in the con- in the in the concept, but, like, Joshua came from Chris and I going, okay, what did we wish we would have been doing when we were 16 years old? Uh-huh. And, like, Joshua was born from almost like that fantasy element of getting to relive your life through a movie. So like Chris and I literally sat down and go, okay, let's, let's look at 16 year old Michael and 16 year old Chris and start doing this thing. Um, So it really is a teen movie through and through. And I like that it's come at a moment when that that conversation's kind of happening, especially on Twitter with people being like, you know, check yourself, Frank. Maybe this movie isn't made for your 45-year-old ass. Like, uh-huh. You know, like, maybe this was made for a teenager. And if you enjoy it, great. But it's more important for us if 17-year-old Cindy enjoys the movie. You know, like, mm-hmm. we just wanted to have fun, too. Like, we, you know, like, there's been a lot of great horror lately. But I'm, me personally, and I, I don't want to speak for Chris, but I think I can when I say that we were kind of over... Not over, but we didn't want to bring the bummer horror aspect to the movie. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, completely I, understandable. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that because like horror that's fun is always like my favorite bread and butter. Same, but especially when it comes to like uh, I guess what we would call like the last year or two, there's been a lot of that like quote unquote woke horror that like Twitter bros are especially mad about, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it multiple times now on just our podcast alone about things like Black Christmas 2019 or um, like the Craft, the Craft Legacy. Legacy or just, I guess, so so many other films that have just been popping up that I love seeing because I think they are fantastic and they are doing such a good service. But I guess because they're not like a prestige horror or they're not like quote unquote scary or they're not trying to be scary in the same way that like, some guy would expect it to be mm-hmm. that that makes them lesser or or a, or an invalid movie or whatever even though it's clearly not catering towards them yeah i mean it's like especially right now like personally brian and i my boyfriend brian and i are going back and re-watching a lot of old fun stuff or we're gearing our viewing habits towards like fun stuff because we're in such a time like, no one's having any fun. <laughs> you know, no, I mean? it is a bleak year. <laughs> yeah. So like, don't get me wrong. I love Christopher Nolan, but like, Tenet's like the last fucking movie I'd want to see right now. 
what I mean? Like, oh, I'm right there with you. Like, I've been going through a lot of my like the recent releases or it's the end of the year and wanting to put together my end of year list. And there are so many movies that I can look at objectively and say, this is a really good movie, but you know, maybe it wrecked me for the rest of the day. Cause it was just too emotionally draining. And like on top of everything else in the world, it's like, I just don't want that right now. Right. Like I would rather watch freaky and spontaneous until my eyes fall out. Like give me those <laughs> movies where like there's heart and there's meaning and message, but at the same time it's fun. So I'm not like leaving my night just like in the fetal position crying. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm glad you're not like that too. Because it makes my life a little easier. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've, been, I've been waiting. Like, she'll go to work. And then it's like, cool. And now I'm going to watch Relic. And then she'll come back. And like, how was the movie? And be like, I'm ha- I had a bad time. Like, it's great. But, oh, God. I, I'm just thinking about the future now. And it's an existential crisis. Brian and I wanted to want to. We haven't seen Craft Legacy yet. But we're going to. Uh-huh. So we watched The Craft last week. And, like, we had just the best time watching that movie. You know, like, it's the, I don't want to say, like, the beauty of the pandemic, but for lack of a better term, the beauty of the pandemic has made, like, we watch the craft almost in, like, a new lens that the pandemic wouldn't have offered. Without a pandemic, it wouldn't have offered. And, like, don't get me wrong, like, I would not, I would rather not have a new lens viewing of the craft than a fucking pandemic. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. But, like... Watching it in the lens of the pandemic, you almost are seeing it for the first time and again in a way. Because while watching The Craft, I was just having a joyous time. And I think it's because of the situation we're all in. And it made me appreciate it again. You know what I mean? Like, Scream 4, I did a viewing, like a virtual viewing with friends on Scream 4 recently too. And I've seen that a zillion times. Mm -hmm. And... Honestly, the viewing experience I had of it this time was the greatest one I've had of it, including the first time I ever saw the movie. Uh-huh. Because you're going into it going, okay, how how do I get the best experience out of this? Because I'm two hours away from the world right now. Uh-huh. Like, let's make this count. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, I had the best time watching the movie. Like, it was weird. It was like, I, it was like, I, I, it was like experiencing it for the first time and again, in a way. Like, I literally left, got done watching Scream 4, and I turned to Brian, and I go, that was the most fun I've ever had watching that movie for some reason. And I think it's because we feel like shit the other 22 hours of the day. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally understand what you mean by that. There's been, um, there's been some horror movies, like, I, in particular, that I've gone back to that I've just really enjoyed this year. Um, I've rewatched all of the Tremors movies, Uh leading up to me getting my Graboid tattoo, and... The, the thing I really appreciated about those was, like, oh, you look at, like, Burt Gummer and you think, like, oh, he's a crazy Republican survivalist. I'm like, no, he's not. He hates the government. He is everything that all these gun nuts wish they were, and right. they're not, and he's good, and he fights for good things, and yeah. I love him. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's a perspective that we probably wouldn't have if it wasn't, like, 2020 life. It's like whenever there's the people that will post things like, you know, what fictional character would have voted for Trump, and people say, like, Hank Hill, and everyone's like, no, you fundamentally don't understand this character. Hank would never <laughs> vote for a New York. It's like, no. (laughs) The um, people were saying Al Bundy. And I was like, there's like at least a dozen episodes where Al Bundy pretty much says ACAB. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, like... would, he would not be a Trump fan. If anything, Al Bunny, Al Bunny would just be like, I don't vote. Like, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and I think there's like, the, it's just this added layer of nuance that's happening right now with how we're viewing films. And if I'm going to be honest, I, I, I have a lot of those feelings about Freaky. And so I want to, I want to bring something up and then I, cause I think it connects to this. Okay. So I had seen somebody complain on Twitter about Freaky and saying that they didn't like it because they didn't like, uh, Vince Vaughn's portrayal of like what it, you know, what a girl looks like uh-huh. kind of thing, uh, with his, his, the mannerisms that were chosen, et cetera, et cetera. And there was, um, like I saw people making fun of, which I think is hilarious of, of like the run, uh-huh. his, his very and, mincing run. Yes. <laughs> and we both had this moment where first Harmony rewound, um, to the original like chase where we see. Millie run in in the beaver costume in the beaver costume yes. and we we were examining her mannerisms yep. and how she carries herself and we were like oh no no like Vince Vaughn isn't doing like this haha making fun of women like he's imitating the way Catherine Newton runs yep. yep like like that's what is happening so what happened there to give you a little backstory on that it's absolutely true because if you actually um I could actually probably send you a couple of interviews or if you just Google some of her press stuff she talks about that specifically and how embarrassing it was for her to watch playback of her running because <laughs> she initially had that thought being like is vince making fun of me and then she saw a playback of herself running and she's like no he's just running like i do and mm-hmm. funnily enough she like I don't think she thought about it. Chris in pre-production did a video video diary of Catherine. And what he did is he followed her around for a couple days. Mm-hmm. And Catherine walked the streets of LA, did some running, interacted with people, went to lunch, and did all these things in character as Millie. And Vince got to study that tape religiously leading up to shooting. And part of that tape was Catherine running. So, like, that run Vince does, A, it is fucking hilarious. Yes. But it's not, it's not a knock at women or Catherine. It's just, he's literally, That's he how she literally runs. is embodying, embodying <laughs> her physicality. Yeah, and another thing that I thought was fun is when I love when he's running with, like, other characters because they are, like, tiny little teenagers uh-huh. so he has to take extra tiny steps because his legs are so long yes it's hilarious <laughs> and like you know but at the end of the day like we laughed on set about how like we're thankful that Catherine runs the way she does because like <laughs> if you know if she ran quote unquote for lack of a better word i described it as like to her on set one day i said you kind of run like phoebe on friends but not as crazy <laughs> Yeah, right. If Catherine ran like somebody who ran track in high school... It wouldn't be funny. It wouldn't be funny. It would be kind of scary because now you have somebody who's, you know, this giant hulking figure running like a track star. Like, that would be terrifying. Yeah, and because it, You know, and I I get where people are coming from because it could look that way. But I think it also, you know, and I used to be this way until I really got into film, is... A lot of people, they underestimate the work people put into things. Mm -hmm. Uh And like, you know, if you don't know anything, not that if you don't know anything, but if you don't think about it enough, you probably, 
I understand where you're coming from and you think Vince just came to set one day and decided to put his his wrist up in front of his chest and start running. But like they spent time with a choreographer on that. You know what I mean? I think people don't realize like the amount of work that can actually go into like a decision like that. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And, and it's I not mean... a knock against them. They just don't know. So like, I understand where it comes from, but it's also like it underestimates the amount of work and effort these actors put into a performance. Yeah. Everything is clearly like a decision. Like yes. you, like either it's made by like a singular person or like a number of people on set. Like this is a choice that we're making. And uh, this is probably going to open a whole different can of worms that we were going to get to eventually. But uh, a thing I was remarking on, we were having this discussion, uh, BJ and me off mic, was when you watch how Vince Vaughn acts in this movie and what makes it such a nice, uh, subtle distinction is he is not acting like, you know, effeminate in the way that like a gay man would be, which is, you know, what you assume when you see an effeminate giant like Vince Vaughn you think like oh he's he's playing gay right that's not what he's doing he's playing a teenage girl unlike when you watch something like Rob Schneider's The Hot Chick where it's like oh no so much of what Rob Schneider is doing is not particularly well thought out because the character he's emulating doesn't act like this just right. it's a bunch of gay jokes right and don't get me wrong I do love The Hot I Chick mean, so I think it's I. way funnier than it should be yeah but that is such a, there's a very, very fine line between those things, but I can sort of see where people would oh, for sure. muddy that water. Yeah, I, I can I can totally see it. And like, you know, working with Landon has been so great in every way, including just, you know, getting phone calls like before the movie comes out and just like, hey, you know, just to give you a heads up, like, this is so exciting, but someone's going to say something shitty and just let it run off your mm-hmm. back and, you know, you can't help it and... So, like, that's been great because, you know, people have opinions and they're not going to be the same as mine. Uh-huh. And yeah. at Some least they're talking wrong. about the movie. And hopefully if they listen to the show and they thought that they now will go and rewatch it and say, oh, you know, like, Vince is actually portraying a character. He's not paint- mm-hmm. portraying a caricature, you know? Yes. Right. And, and I think, too, the thing that, you know, because the compl- one of the complaints that I saw, it, it did come from a woman and it was very much like, uh, you know... Is this how is this how people think women run? And I had this moment where I had this like internal kind of <laughs> sadness where I was like, yeah, that's how I run because I can't like my boobs are too big. I can't put my fucking arms down or <laughs> run comfortably to the side. So I run with T Rex arms. Uh-huh. So like I run the way Millie runs in that in that. So when people are like, oh, women don't run like that, I'm like, but I run like that. Well, and the other and thing is, I think the viewer sometimes thinks more than the the filmmakers. Because, mm-hmm. like, my thought is, well, maybe not women run like that, but Catherine does, and she's a woman. Right, right, right. You know, it's like, we've gotten a little bit of pushback on Joshua, right? Because people mm-hmm. go, well, Joshua's such a gay cliche, and it's like, well, there's gay guys like Joshua. Yeah, right. So, like, why is that portrayal cliche, and why is that bad? All sorts of gay people exist, including the loud, boisterous, like, assured that's the thing i would use to describe joshua more than anything before loud or boisterous is like he's knows exactly who the fuck he is like if Uh that's the stereotype we're putting out there then great like Like i wish i knew who i was at 17 because joshua sure fucking does the exchange Uh like the exchange with his mother and 
just the home decor. Like that tells you everything you need to know about everything. that character. About is, their relationship. Yes. About how he grew up. About the open arms he grew up in. I mean, if you look at the pictures in that house. Oh, they're so it's amazing. Literally <laughs> him and his mom in a celebration in every photo. Uh-huh. And like Chris worked with the production designers, Hillary and Courtney Andajar, who are queer twins. Being like, this is what this kid's house would look like because he grew up in the best way possible. He had the best mother. And, you know, there's that little figurine of the two of them with their hands pushed together. Like uh-huh. I saw the close-up of that on Twitter and screamed. Screamed, right? And It's, it's just like, so amazing. Like, instead of, I don't know, again, I understand where people are coming from. We've been portrayed poorly throughout cinema and TV. So I think... You know, having a character like Joshua, you know, I know I've been guilty of it in the past. The first thing you do is look for reasons to be upset or to mm-hmm. pick. But if you just take a beat and look and see his house and see his relationship with his mom, even in that one scene, you, you then are able to go, at least for us when we were writing the script and filming the movie and then seeing it, you, you start to go, this is why he's the way he is. He grew up being a being able to be who he was since he was like one day old oh totally i like i i use him as kind of like my litmus for everything on the show but i think a lot about like my nephew cash and cash is like just turned 14 a week ago came out as bi last year on coming out day recently started using you know he and they pronouns and and, and they're 14 right and, like going to school in the middle of nowhere, like farm ass Ohio, but knows who they are and like right. how how they want to be perceived in the world and knows that like at the end of the day, mom and dad are going to love me and support me. And that dramatically changes like how how they're presenting to the world, how they act. Like their Twitter feed is like making out with your dad right now. Like something like super funny and ridiculous. <laughs> if you have a if you have a family that makes you feel like shit for being queer, like you're not gonna post shit like that. That's not who you're gonna be. Right. So and Joshua's real. Yeah, Joshua is just not only is he unabashedly queer, he's unabashedly himself in every way. Oh, mm-hmm. totally. You know, Chris and I described him you know, just when we would talk about him to each other, we described him as Joshua is 18, out, proud, doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks, and in his head already knows that he's leaving Blissfield at the end of high school. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he knows he's going to New York or L.A. or Chicago, and he's probably going to be in music or in film or in some sort of creative environment that he'll thrive in, and in his head, he's already there, you know? Yeah. And, like, in a way, if you see his arc in the movie, you kind of... He doesn't change his personality and attitude, but he softens by the end of the film, and what I mean by that is he's, like, that scene where the jock Phil takes him to, like, essentially non-consensually make out with him. Yes. Mm -hmm. That Joshua is completely different than he was 90 minutes earlier. Because he's literally uh earnestly like, no, like, where the fuck is Millie, dude? You told me you know where she was, and it's totally, like, I, I think it's really subtle, but I think it's so there that that snark and high energy hilarity is completely gone from him. And it's all about where the fuck is Millie? You lied to me. 
Yeah, he's got better priorities at that moment. Yeah, and to be honest with you, Chris and I initially, um, I don't know if he'll kill me for revealing this, but we initially had them <laughs> hooking up because through our, you know, reliving our own teenage experience, we initially had it where Phil was a little less um, pesty mm-hmm. <laughs> and a little more flirty, like genuinely mm-hmm. flirty. And so Joshua and him actually hooked up. And we have this, like, really fun, cute, yet really funny scene of them hooking up and fumbling around together and stuff. And we thought it was, like, this really cool moment for Chris and I to kind of, like, be like, this is what 17-year-old us would be so cool, think was so cool to do. Mm-hmm. But then we stopped and go, wait a minute, he's a total fucking asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> his friend is going to lose her body in, like, seven minutes. <laughs> Yeah, that would be like the like your priorities have skewed. Like the, this this version of it, I think, like right on track, exactly yeah. where Joshua needs to be. Yeah, because Chris and I were like, oh, let's give him his like triumphant moment of getting the guy, and then we were like, wait a minute, this makes him a total dick. <laughs> <laughs> See, sometimes we get the things that we want on paper, and then the real like the reality is that in the big picture probably not the best so yeah I, I'm... We, we looked at it as we got to write it got it out of our system and then found like the actual right story element you know yeah um so like those are the moments where and you're both creative like those are the moments where like you got your cake and got to eat it too and like <laughs> those are like one of the times where you're like okay like rewrites aren't so bad Right, sometimes they're helpful. Yeah, and sometimes they make you go, don't be an idiot, Kennedy. Um, (laughs) That's where you just get to file it away and just go like, yeah, that was for me. Yeah, or, you know, maybe it's for the sequel, you know, like, (laughs) if we get to do a sequel, so. I I hope you do. I I want nothing more. Me too. So something else that, um, I mean, because we're kind of talking about, you know, there's, there's the queer element because we, you know, we have Joshua. But one of the things that I know we really wanted to talk with you about is from the trailer's release, there was a lot of outcry pretty much immediately um, accusing this film as being transphobic or perpetuating um, bad trans stereotypes. Yeah. And, you know, even without seeing the movie, uh, I know Harmony immediately kind of came to the film's defense. Yeah. And now that Thank we've you. seen the movie. You're welcome. <laughs> um, definitely still feeling that way. Where yeah. it's like, mm, yeah, y'all are getting mad about nothing. I mean, me being mad about this was the entire <laughs> basis for me writing like 3,000 plus words for Bloody Disgusting about like killer cross-dressers. <laughs> that was the entire inspiration for That's me really dedicating cool. weeks re- of my life. I read that article. It was really great. Really, Thank really you. Great. Yeah, I stressed out about that article for a really long time. It was really good. <laughs> and bloody disgusting was the perfect outlet for it. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad that they approached me because I was oh good. Being, I was being real salty on Twitter about being like I'm writing this thing and no one's gonna pay me to do it even though they should. So I'm just gonna self publish it <laughs> because of ugh. and I was just. I was I was having a pissing contest because I was because people weren't picking my stuff up for a while about things and I go no there needs to be trans voices about stuff like this and <laughs> then everyone felt bad and <laughs> multiple people messaged me. Well, and John approached you, right, John Squires? Yes. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, so that 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 was basically the reaction to Freaky from a, a couple people, uh, very loud, awful. 
insufferable trans people, one of which blocked me because I said, uh, quite fairly respectfully, I disagree with you. Here's why. Yeah. Uh, apparently she well, couldn't take it. Yeah, that's the thing. Had you have been like, hey, you're a fucking idiot. You're wrong. Like, okay, yeah, maybe block you. Yeah. But all you did was say, I disagree, and then backed up your claim. I think I was a little more sort of sarcastic than I disagree. I don't remember. But in any case, someone <laughs> with like way more followers than me blocked me. And I'm like, okay, well... This is why I got into writing in the first place, because there needs to be more people with nuanced opinions than this angry lady with her. Uh, It's kind of like we were talking earlier, where um, people just assume the worst intentions from filmmakers, when, like, the reality of it is, like, hey, it's just Occam's razor, as -hmm. far as, like, writing out the characterization of the characters. Vince Vaughn runs very prissily, because the character he's emulating played by the actor that he's emulating runs very prissy. Oh, hey, there's this gay character who's like, oh, they're a gay stereotype. I'm like, not, that's just how some people are. Don't assume the worst of people, especially when it's like this veiled, um, like femme hate. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, totally, it's like, in a way, it's like you're revealing yourself to be like anti-femme. Or like, oh, yeah. you know, like what, if they're not benching 400 pounds, like they're a stereotype. And it's also like, I don't know, to me, anytime I've read that, I've just like, oh, you probably have no fats, no femmes on your grinder profile next. Like, <laughs> you know what no, I mean? Like, ex- exactly. <laughs> like, this is the, that's the thing. It's like, you're like, ex- you're showing your own ass by having outrage because you assume someone else is doing something with bad intentions but you're really pointing out how much you hold this to be self-evident. Right, and, you know... It's like the people who kept assuming you and Chris were straight, too. People were assuming we were straight, and then they also don't realize that, like, we could only do so much with Josh on paper. Everything else was Misha. Like, Mm -hmm. the actor that plays Josh, they are unabashedly themselves, too, and they brought Uh that to Joshua. So, like, part of me is just, like, you're knocking this actor for who they are right because it's not like misha was putting on this affectation to play the character Uh you know like we chris went in knowing exactly what type of actor he wanted for the role and misha completely filled chris's want and part of it was because misha was unabashedly themselves in the moment too and misha was the actor during their audition that understood the character you know we did have a lot of auditions for joshua where they were coming in and they were almost bird caging it up uh-huh. or, oh god <laughs> you know or they were like being really like for lack of a better word cunts like they thought the character was like <laughs> supposed to be played cunty and like mm-hmm. uh-huh. we were actually struggling it was like really deep in casting and we still hadn't found josh And then Misha's tape comes in and you're just like, that's Josh. Like Uh there's the smart ass part of him in Josh's or in Misha's um, audition tape. But there's also like, I don't know. It's hard to describe. Like they just got it. Oh, they're, they're one. They know the characters one step ahead of everybody else mentally. And it's, so it's like, you're knocking the actual human by saying this is a cliche, you know, it's like, and I, I understand it, but at the same time, it's just, like, it seems like um, shaming. Like, if you're that type of queer person, you're not correct. 
uh-huh. in your queerdom. And it's just like, oh, so now we're gatekeeping mannerisms and right. <laughs> personalities. And and you're totally right in that, like, it it does become part of Misha's performance because, I mean, jokingly, you're saying, like, birdcaging it up. But I think about the line of, like, oh, my God, it's a slaughterhouse. And the way that Misha delivers it, like, by somebody who was trying to really, really camp that up. Like, they could have been, like, it's a slaughterhouse. Right, and like made it, like, really sing. sing- yeah, it could have been sing-songy. And to me, people criticizing and being, like, oh, that's a cliche or that's offensive or whatever. I'm, like, you just clearly don't know a lot of gay people then. Because, like, that's. That's a pretty standard read on that line. Well, like, Chris that and could I have been like, way more of the top. Chris and I couldn't decide who that sounded like more, me or him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, AKA, that's why it's in the script. Because Chris wrote that line. I about shit my pants when I read it. And I was like, that's Josh. You know, like, that's exactly what he would say when he walks into the room. It's a slaughterhouse. Because he is, he's scared. But that's how he's covering up his fear. Right, you got to make, you got to crack jokes about it. Yes. Like, and that's why I think, you know, having, um, oh my gosh, character name, my brain. Nyla. Nyla, thank you. Having Nyla immediately respond with like, are you smiling? I think is just so, it's like, it's such a great example of the relationship that these characters have. But, you know, that that shaming thing it just, to me, feels like it's people having, one, just a genuine misunderstanding of who that character is, but two, pairing that with the amount of people who cried, you know, transphobia about this movie, it, to me, is just like, well, then you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be trans, if you think that this, that this is a trans story. Um, I guess, Harmon, you could probably speak better and more eloquently. And, I don't, I don't you know. know if it'll be more eloquently, but I realize <laughs> that it's whatever you're going to say, it's probably better coming out of my mouth. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I can, like, fuck off into the sun if no, I'm ahead, speaking just... out of turn. But no, we're married. <laughs> go ahead. It's a fundamental misunderstanding. <laughs> like, the people who watch this movie and, well, first off, like, congratulations to this movie for keeping pronouns in check the entire fucking movie uh-huh. for the characters. And the one time there is a mistake, it's corrected, which I think is very 2020 and very cute. But mm-hmm. it's also reinforcing the idea that, like, no, this is not this is not a trans story. This person has not transformed. Like, they're wearing a body as a shell and as a costume. Uh-huh. Like, that's not who they are. Right. This is just what they happen to be wearing at this moment in time. Right. And it's, you know, Chris and I talked about that a lot. You know, I actually have gotten messages from other writers who are, I don't want to say doing something similar, but are actually exploring some sort of body swapping concept. And, you know, people have said, how did you guys address that in the script? And Chris and I actually knew right away like that this dis- we needed to make this decision because it's the right decision for the movie and it's the right decision for just life uh-huh. to you know frame it the way we did but we also put it in the script in a script note and i actually can read you this script note and i've actually sent this script note to several people asking like how did you guys deal with the swap and the way you describe the characters mm-hmm. uh, and i say we we did this note and they go Oh my God, that's like the easiest way to do it. So I'll read it to you. So it's like right after Friday the 13th flashes on screen. Mm -hmm. And then we actually wrote in the script, okay, pause people. 
You are correct. The final girl and the butcher have switched bodies. We will refer to them by their mind names. Millie may be in the butcher's body, but she's still Millie on the inside, so that's what we will keep calling her. So, like, right away, you knew right away, like, they're still Millie, they're still the butcher, and, like, it was so important to us that it ran through the movie. And we actually made a decision one day based on something Brian told me. Brian's like, you should have Booker refer to the butcher in Catherine's body as him and have Nyla correct him. Because he's like, that's just so Nyla's character. And it was such a oh, yeah. tiny little detail, but it was so perfect. It's, uh-huh. It was so impactful, too, because there are there's so many... I get, so here's where I get frustrated and Harmony and I talk a lot about how I get more upset about this sort of thing than she does because she's desensitized yeah, to it. Yeah, it's just par for the course for me. Okay. I'm just sitting here and I'm like, no, I want to listen to hear both of you talk. I'll just be the lifeguard and I trust <laughs> both of you to know how to swim and I'll just hop in if I if I have something to say or I feel like someone's drowning. <laughs> um, but I get so frustrated by it, especially with with things like body swap movies, because I'm the one who has to field all the questions about Harmony's existence Mm -hmm. because they're too chicken shit to ask her. So I get like, I know what's going on in the back of people's minds that they're too afraid to say out loud. Like they say the quiet part to me because they, they, because I'm cis, they think that like, oh, this is safe or I can ask you and like, I'm not going to get my head bit off or whatever. And also because I tend to not bite people's heads off unless they're being like blatantly ignorant. Right. So I think people feel safe. But what is just very, very frustrating to me is that the amount of people who either don't have any trans people in their circle or who just honestly don't understand like very basic, I guess, like film 101 sort of theory or gender theory presenting in film is when they call a film like this transphobic and when they're so militant about it, that to me is them telling me that deep down they look at my wife and they see Vince Vaughn. Like that's what you're telling me when you're like, (laughs) well, all those, (laughs) we are cracking up because all those lines, she was just like, same. I was like, I'm not 6'6 six, six or whatever, but I'm up there. You're 6'3. I know. And we looked it up because uh, Vince is 6'5, so you're only two inches shorter, so you you could you could tower. Yeah. I'm strong. <laughs> um, strong now. But, <laughs> but, like, when people say, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, this is transphobic, or it, this and this, I'm like, so then what do you see when you look at my wife? Do you see my wife or do you see Vince Vaughn? Because that's what you're telling me. And I get, like, I got so heated about it and so frustrated. And this will go into, like, a little bit of spoiler territory. But, again, if people are listening to this episode, why haven't you seen this movie yet? Uh. Um, But there's the scene in the car with Booker and Millie Mm post-swap that is so charming and so romantic and so touching. And I had this realization because I was getting, like, like physically affected by it and, like, quite, quite verklempt about the whole situation. Yeah, it's emotional. You, you reached over and touched my thigh. I did. I did, because I'm. that's just who I am. But I, it's because I had this realization where I was watching these two, and they, you know, they share a very romantic moment, and it, I was like, well, Booker is looking right now, and Booker is seeing Millie, because that's Millie. And then I had this realization of, like, there are people who are going to watch this, and they're going to laugh at the scene, yep. and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Because they don't see Millie, they see the butcher. Yeah. And I had that, like, 
awful feeling in my stomach where it was like, there are people, you know, in, in our lives who, you know, if they, if they knew Harmony before, before transitioning, so pretty much just like exclusively her, her family, do they see me with like Harmony and with my wife or do they see me with, you know, dead name? Right. Do they see me with like their, you know, used to be son or nephew in a costume? What do right. they see? And it was just this, like this beautiful moment that was then swiftly like my like legs got kicked up from underneath yeah, me. Yeah, Where it's just like that realization of like, yeah, this is, this is the world because... I'm watching this scene and I'm like, this is really touching and lovely. And I know that there are people laughing and knowing that that's, that's how we exist in the world because yeah. people have a fundamental misunderstanding of like what it means to be trans and especially what it means to love someone who's trans. Right. And I was just like, I had this moment where I was like, I'm so fucking glad that this movie exists for so many reasons, but of like all of the moments of the movies that I've seen this year, like that's the one that I'm taking with me probably the hardest. You know, if there's any, any way to feel good about it or better about it, or if this helps, I will say two things about that scene. 95% of the reaction online has been about how beautiful and romantic it is. Good. So yeah, that does make my heart happy. <laughs> yeah. It's been a very people. Most people have been reading it the way it was intended because when we wrote it in the script and this is part two of it, Chris and I wrote it earnestly. We wrote it never from the POV of laughs. We examined it together as this is the moment for Millie in Booker, and this is a real opportunity to just send, not to send a message, because Chris and I never really tackled anything like, here's our message, but we knew it was an opportunity to kind of make people step back and go, oh, this is this is a choice that I really am loving. Mm -hmm. And it was to just go, okay, we have an opportunity here to do something really cool. And... I'm not a huge fan of the term love is love for some reason. I don't know why. It just kind of sticks with me weird. I think it's because straight people say it more than queer people at this point. Yeah. yeah. I think like anything that has been on like, <laughs> I, I just watched the euphoria thing and uh, like the special. Yeah. And there's a moment where he's talking about going into the Nike store and seeing black lives matter and it making him feel good. And then realizing the shoes still cost $140. Right. And it's like, I guess I don't matter that much to you. Right. And that's how I feel a little bit. Like, obviously it's comparing apples to oranges, but I feel like that's what like, the like the gay hashtag love is love has turned into is that yeah. that's the target brand version of yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? this is the citizens bank float slogan yeah but yeah. like i can't think of a better way to explain it than when we, at the time you we were just like this is a real opportunity to show that booker really does love millie mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, millie's i don't want to say problem but millie's it, it, it's never it's never about Booker doesn't love her or her friends don't love her or her family doesn't love her. It's real. It was really for us. It was even more importantly, an opportunity for Millie to realize that she can love herself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That she has these amazing people in her life and not like fuck off bullies, but like she has a support system that she doesn't realize she has because she's been so busy taking care of everybody else. 
And it was just a beautiful scene and Chris shot it in such a beautiful way, in such a serious way that I'm so happy that 95% of the people have realized that. You know, every once in a while you'll get a tweet, I'll get a tweet from somebody and I know they mean well and I'll be like, oh my God, that car scene was so hilarious and I just want to reply, it's not hilarious. But, uh-huh. you know, but I also know they're not coming at it with, I, I guess I go, that's better than someone messaging me and going, that car scene was disgusting, you know? Like, right. Uh, lesser of two evils, I guess. Yeah, you know, and I know they don't, I guess intent in this, what I'm trying to say is like intent matters to me in that moment. Yeah. And the person isn't intending to offend me. And it's not offensive. It's just like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a little bummed that I didn't get the message across to you clear enough. <laughs> yeah. So... You know? But I'll take it because... You know, those little things still matter. And Chris and I knew that was going to be a conversation. And we're really happy the conversation has gone the way we wanted it to. And I think, you know, the 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 reaction to the trailer, we haven't really seen that from people who've seen the movie. Good. When it comes to the trans aspect of it, I think people see the movie and go, oh, this is like actually a sweet film, you know? Yeah, the, uh, the trans aspect of this is such a non aspect of it because there is no trans aspect yeah like there can be certainly like trans reads because there's an exploration of gender but trans reads are not the same thing as trans characters and trans stories yep so um like at least so so on the two sides of that sort of concept the car scene is really really beautiful because even in trans stories you don't typically see this sort of like uh, love knows no gender kind of thing right where um, in a trans story, like if it, they always involve transitioning because it's so sensationalized and people love to see it, and I'm very tired of it. But uh, you never have people who love the person either both pre and post transitioning. And in this aspect, this would kind of be like, you know, uh, Booker, who is just the sweetest high school boy, and he's so nice, and I love him. Just being like, no, I love you for you, even if you are a uh, a giant serial killer with yellow teeth yeah. in this moment. <laughs> but, like, that's okay. As opposed to, you know, bringing it back to when I watch um, The Hot Chick and then I have this moment where it hurts my heart where Rob Schneider kisses the jock boy and he goes, you're a 40-year-old dude! It's disgusting! Right. And, like, seeing that and pretty much every trans story, like The Danish Girl or whatever handle the concept of love around a transition so like poorly or in a way that like hurts my heart this is so nice to see thank you and you know and like i think the thing i agree with you on is that like it's always played for dramatic effect Uh you know what i mean as opposed to like i don't know like it's weird i don't want to say it was easy for chris and i but we're just like what's wrong you know like like he did it in happy death day with carter right like Mm -hmm. Uh chris has this really amazing pov when it comes to stuff like that where like instead of getting bogged down in tree having to convince carter over and over and over again what's happening carter just believes her and that's it and the story continues yeah and like we kind of took that tact with booker but it's obviously a bigger and more important thing with booker but we also were just like why can't booker just love millie and that's it like (laughs) We don't need right. to make a meal out of it just for, like, a dramatic thing, you know? Or, like, to have a dramatic beat. And I think, like, the Danish girl even did that. It was, like, they use it as a dramatic effect to get, like, conflict. 
It's just because they wanted to win awards and right. Danish Girl blows and I hate Eddie Redmayne and that's just me airing all my dirty laundry out. But Chris and I like, are like, let's have this awesome moment and then get back into the bodies, like get back into them chasing down the dola. Exactly. Like, you know, and that's like, the thing is that um, both the characters and the story's universe accept like the gender, like the correct, like internal soul gender of both B- Millie and the Butcher, regardless of which body is, as a universal truth. There's no reason to have this be up for debate, really. Like, right. sure, it prevents like a, it, it presents a comedic scene where they are just beating the shit out of Vince Vaughn with like tater tots, and right. I love that. It's very funny. So good. But but it doesn't need to be more complicated than that nope. and that's the other side of like the trans of a trans read where it's just like oh hey if someone says that uh, that this is who they are then just go ahead and believe them it's well, not kinda, complicated you know, right and like we i think we presented that well with Nyla and Josh in the beginning just by showing their friendship together being like these three really just dig each other uh-huh you know of course like it takes a minute because they're like who's this person saying they're Millie? But then as soon as Millie does something that Millie would do, they're like, well, no shit. Of course it's Millie. You know, like... (laughs) Like You can't fake that. Right. This is the universal truth. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's just... to Chris and I, it's just refreshing to kind of like... You know, we had that scene and it's really fun. And for us, it was more about... It's like really subverting the slasher trope of like the, the chasing 40 minutes into a normal slasher movie. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And Chris and I were like, let's do it with Millie. You know, like we looked at it more as like a slasher thing than a gender thing. Uh-huh. And w- it ended up being like this beautiful thing in two different ways. But we also were like, okay, we just made the tiniest meal out of it. Let's not like fucking shove a turkey down everyone's throats. Like, right? <laughs> you know, they got the taste of it. Now let's keep the story going. Like, and that's the thing a lot of people, I think, not misconstrue, but don't understand when you're writing too. Like at the end of the day, like, we have these amazing moments, but everything services like the overall story, you know? So it's like, all right, let's get everyone back into finding the Dola. Like, right. Like they're, they're on a mission. They've got to do some stuff. And like, there was a, uh, there was a review by Grace Thomas of happy season where she says, if happy season has one flaw, it's that it's not a hundred hours long and doesn't tell every single coming out story or something like that. And it's like, yeah, because it's still a movie and we've got places to go. And, like, we can have these moments that are great and wonderful. But, like, if there's a story that's happening, like, we need to to get to that story. And I think that, you know, all of these really beautiful moments and, I mean, the one that I'm definitely, I don't want to talk about because I don't want to spoil it because it's so beautiful. Like, the the changing room scene is, like... There are these moments that are so touching and so wonderful, but they do serve to the to the the whole of the story because we're really getting to know these characters yep. and we're developing such a great sense of empathy because now we're invested. We want Millie and the Butcher to be able to switch back because we want Millie to be able to be with Booker on her own terms. Right. We want like, you know, we want Millie's mom to be able to find happiness. We want Josh to be able to have a partner that isn't a fucking scumbag. Like we want want a lot of these good things to happen for these people because we love them now yeah and and i think as as a teen movie there aren't very many examples where you walk away from watching a teen movie having a really good grasp on who every single person in this movie is 
I mean, Harmony, you can speak on it if, if you agree, disagree, but I feel like I, like, I let, leave that movie and I can kind of predict, like, where they're all going afterwards. I know, <laughs> I know how it's going to be for all of them because there's such a great exploration of who they are. Right. I, mean, I agree. And then the sequel comes out and we find out BJ was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and Chris and I, when we were crafting the script, we knew... Like I said, we knew we had these opportunities to kind of slow the movie down here and there and just really bring like a fresh aspect to the slasher movie that you don't see a lot, which is like warmth and tenderness. But we also knew that you only have so much real estate before people are like, okay, come on, get back to the train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of Landon, and I learned so much from writing this script with him, is he knows how to maximize literally every second. And... I, I think I did the first pass of that dressing room scene. And, you know, I get the, I get Chris's rewrite on that scene back and it's like cut in half and <laughs> like it's very succinct. And it's like, my scene was just way too long and he took it, chopped it up and goes, okay, this is how we best present every theme you brought to the scene without boring the hell out of the audience, but also hopefully making them cry quickly, but also feeling so satisfied when we get back into the humor and then like the like the freight train of the movie because we call the movie a freight train we're like okay as soon as a switch happens we need to be everyone needs to be on a ride and they're on a roller coaster and the scene in the changing room and the scene in the car those are like the parts of the roller coaster where like you're on a flat plane and then you're about to go on a loop Mm -hmm. and he's just so smart and structure and taking those scenes and going, okay, how do I do this as quickly as possible, but also maximizing the emotional element of it. Yeah. And I, this is something that I say to BJ every single time we sit down to watch a movie where I'm like, man, I'm, I I just miss a a beautiful, like 90 minute movie that is just, it trucks along and it's succinct and I'm not impatient or bored for a single second. And this movie is really, really good at that oh, because it, it has these really emotional moments, but then it's like, okay, now there's something silly and ridiculous happening and we're on with like the slasher or the comedy aspect. But uh, it, it does this really good balance of everything that's really enjoyable about a slasher film, especially like a subversive one, obviously like like Scream or um, Tucker and Dale versus Evil or just anything that really takes the elements of what makes slashers fun and then turns them on their head. This does a great job of that. Uh, but at the same time... Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like it also... Um, another thing I really like as far as it doing that is that uh, there's the scene in, in the woodshop and I, you know, whenever you're watching like a, any kind of horror film with people, they go, oh, that's stupid. You just, you take a, like a boat oar and then you hit Jason with it and then you run away. And it's like, yeah, you don't realize how weak, um, teenage girls are in compared to full grown men. Yeah. And especially because like, I don't, I don't know this actor's name, but he's Cameron from Ferris Alan Bueller. Alan <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, he's not a big man, but also she's not a big girl. <laughs> Even with like the bit, the butcher's like hatred and heart in her soul, yep. like you're still gonna get thrown around. And I'm sitting there like going like, yeah, okay. So technically, I'm rooting for the bad guy in this scene, but also like, fuck you, Cameron. You grew up to be just like your father. Like you can, you can die. I don't care. <laughs> well, that's the thing is like we also wanted to like, I don't know. We just thought it would be really funny if the butcher ends up killing all these people that are shitty to Millie. 
right? <laughs> I, is... I was having a discussion with somebody who uh, who asked me, like, well, is the butcher really a bad guy? Because, like, he, he he's trying to, he's just killing bad people the whole movie. And I'm like, and also trying to kill Millie. And yeah. her friends the and whole movie. This is, this is, you don't get to reanalyze this of like, oh, Ferris Bueller was actually the villain all along. It's like, no, the butcher is actually a bad guy. <laughs> he is. And like, the butcher is also, what is the butcher doing that bullies do? Taking advantage of the situation. Uh huh. So oh, when absolutely. you're the butcher and someone like Ryler is literally grabbing you and taking you to a locker room, what are you going to do? You're going to fucking kill them. Yeah, and... and like that's the and that's the thing is I think Ryler is so insufferable and oh god I know so many people who act like that and the fact that she is so tiny makes it even, even like I think at one point Harmony said like oh she's like a gnat <laughs> yeah like... Melissa Colazzo who played her was so good like, she's she's perfect. very good she's, she's fantastic at that she's role so good and... and she's like the nicest sweetest kid <laughs> and, and then she gets. Jason X. She's 4'10. Oh she's, my god, that's so Yeah, small. so she's so tiny and like just so full of energy and obviously like very mean. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, God, but all, all girls at that age are shitty and mean and terrible. Like, you don't deserve to get cryogenically frozen and smashed. Right. And think but... about it. What is going on in her life that makes her that way? There's yes. something going on to her too, and it's probably in her home. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. The only ones that people really should fully. I mean, I love that people cheer for the desk because they're so amazing. But those three jocks. Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, uh-huh. they're can... team butcher in that moment for sure. Anybody who says that someone who looks like Catherine Newton needs to be brown bagged, my nemesis. Like <laughs> I will, I will fight you myself. Like how dare you? Do you want to I... know a fun fact about those three jocks? Hmm. Yes. Their names are Brett, Tobin, and Squee. <laughs> okay yeah chris calls me and he i can't remember if the kavanaugh hearings were going on or not or what but he goes dude because i forget what their names were they might have even just been like jock one jock two and jock three Uh uh-huh chris goes dude we gotta call them brett tobin and squee oh my god and like we almost went as far and called the kid brett kavanaugh but we ended up on set they gave him the name bro <laughs> and it's spelled on his back of his jersey it's spelled b-r-e-a-u-x <laughs> uh. see that groan right there bj gave is the same groan she's given thanks to your writing of uh t-u in hell <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i'll t-u in hell yeah which Here. i've been saying that for days for any time i make tea and she's been getting so mad she'll like so come stupid. into the kitchen and like put like a tea bag into her glass and then She'll, like, walk away because I'm working from home. She'll be like, all right, I'll, I'll see you in hell. And I'm like, I'm going to murder so you in my bare hands. <laughs> like... Makes me so happy. It's so, it's so stupid. But, yeah, I don't know. The movie's so fun, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. It makes me happy. And it seems to be finding an audience. And I've been getting a lot of messages from queer kids just being so happy they feel seen and stuff. So, I don't know. It's been crazy. It's been really nice. Good. No, I, th- I think it's great. I'm glad everyone else is enjoying it, you know? Yeah, and we just made another best of list for the year today. You're just going to be, like, once, like, next week or the week after, I think you're just going to be collecting, like, accolades for <laughs> end of year lists from all sorts of different websites. I hope so. I mean, it's been, you know, I never thought this would happen, honestly. 
But my dream is like Vince or Catherine getting a Golden Globe nomination. Ah, <laughs> uh, I would love that. Because I kind Cause... of think they deserve it. Like there is a best comedy actor and actress category. Why that the hell is not? true. So, but yeah, you know, my main goal is I just want a part two. <laughs> I would I watch, watch these characters forever and ever. Because there's a lot we can do with them, especially Nyla and Josh. There's so much oh, more God, yeah. that we have to say about them and mm-hmm. um, discuss with those two, especially, especially Nyla. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we have those two actors, Celeste O'Connor and Misha, are both non-binary queer actors, and I just really want to celebrate them more. One of the my takeaways from it is like. I want to watch everything that the two of them have been in because they're so fun. They're so fun. And they're just it, such a presence. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably one of my main hopes that comes out of this is because obviously everybody knows who Vince Vaughn is. Like no one needs to worry about him ever getting work again. Right. Catherine is, I think very much star on the rise, like very much becoming like one of these darlings that everybody loves and, yep. you know, wants to see her in other things. But Celeste and Misha, like such standout performances. Agreed. And I hope that this movie makes people go, Oh, who are they? And what can I put them in? Uh-huh. Yeah. I hope their phones are ringing off the hook, honestly, because <laughs> I mean, I know for myself personally, if I can, I'm specking a script right now, and I have parts for both of them that I'm writing. Um, uh, so I hope A, the movie gets made, and I hope B, they both say yes. <laughs> be incredible. I would, where, where can I send money to make that and happen? And the characters are both so queer as fuck! <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's been great. I'm very thankful. Well, we are thankful that that you could be here, and I think that this has been a really lovely discussion about such a such a lovely, fun, gory, ridiculous movie. Uh-huh. But we we end the show the same way every time, and it's that harmony. Freaky is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the note back? I mean, for the sake of this movie, it would be homecoming. True. And, okay. uh, yes, I, I will go to. Well, it's because it's not prom. It's clearly homecoming because all of the butcher's stories take place around homecoming. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the answer is a, yes. I, I love this movie. I will revisit. Uh, speaking of best ofs, like I know that BJ and I are planning on doing a, a, a Patreon exclusive episode where we talk about uh, each of our top 10 favorite films of the year. And I, I haven't sat down and made it, but I'm pretty damn confident Freaky's making that list. At least for me, I think BJ will agree. So that'll, that'll be really, really fun. That's uh, yeah. I I want this. I want the, uh, the sequel to hopefully get made. I want to see everyone in this movie do more things and I will pay to watch all of them (laughs) just all of the good things like this just makes me so happy oh yay well michael where can people find you on the internet if you want them to and uh do you have anything that you want to promote well i'm on twitter at michael ken ken and then my instagram is michael tj kennedy where you will see nothing but my dog Uh. and no, nothing to promote. I wish I could promote my next movie, but it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't say anything about it. <laughs> NDAs. Woo! What's Everyone's that? Fa- I said NDAs. Woo! Yeah. Everyone's favorite. <laughs> so, but it should shoot next year. I can say that. Like early, like in the spring. So. Awesome. Uh, That's wonderful. Love it. Yeah. 
Well, you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. We also have our Patreon, patreon.com backslash This Ends at Prom. We just recorded our uh, our first Sadie Hawkins dance for the season, and we watched Just Friends because it's teen boy movie and it's Christmas. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram with my name at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, not at my name, at <laughs> Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. <laughs> and as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbomb for letting us use title as our theme song. They have new music out. Support them. Uh, you know, you're supporting queer artists uh, and you're especially supporting queer artists that believe crying is cool because it is cool. And that, my friends, takes us out on Freaky. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.